Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to our Bible study in the book of Romans. Uh, today, we come to the ending verses of chapter 2, uh, verses 17 through 29, and the title of our lesson is A True uh, Jew. Now, right off the bat, in verse 17, Paul is going to say this, if you call yourself a Jew. So it's obvious to us that he's talking to a Jewish person or directing his conversation toward a Jewish person. So who are these Jews that Paul is, is talking about? Well, the descendants of Abraham are, are known by several names. Uh, we call them Israelites, which comes from the land that they inhabit. We call them Hebrews, uh, which comes from the language that they speak. But the term that seems to have stuck with them most throughout the, uh, the, the centuries is the word Jew. Now, the word Jew and Judaism come, of course, from the name Judah, which in Hebrew means to praise. So, and of course, Judah was uh, one of the great-grandsons of Abraham himself. So in its most basic sense, the term Jew means a uh, a member of the tribe or the kingdom uh, of Judah. But as time went by and the, and the, and the centuries kind of rolled along, it, it kind of changed and Jew just became this term that was just this comprehensive term uh, kind of over the any inhabitant or any, uh, anyone who was a physical descendant of, of Abraham. In other words, a person who is a member of the chosen people of, of God. Now, the question is, why is Paul specifically bringing them up here at the end of chapter 2? Well, now, I've said this numerous times before, so let me say it one more time. In, in Beginning in 118, chapter 1, verse 18, and all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is trying to make a point. And the point is this, that every mouth is going to be stopped, and we're all going to stand guilty before uh, God. In Romans 1, 18-32, he dealt with the godless, if you will, or the, or the pagans. In Romans 2, 1-16, he dealt with moral people, good people, think that, that they're, they're okay with God. Now here in Romans, he deals specifically with the Jews. Why? Because listen, if anyone, if any group of people is going to make it to heaven apart from Jesus Christ, it's going to be the Jews. So that's, this is specifically why he deals with them here. Now you see, God chose Abraham. Now Abraham was just a pagan. He wasn't anything special about him. He was just a, a normal pagan that God chose him. And God said, I'm going to establish a covenant, an agreement, a contract with you and all of your descendants. Genesis 17, 7 reads this, like this. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Now notice that term, everlasting. That means there's no, there's no end to this agreement that he's making. In Genesis 17, 10 and 11, it tells us what the sign of this covenant was, which was circumcision of all the males. Now, let me just say, we don't think too much about circumcision now. I mean, we tend to do it here in America uh, as a cultural thing, but when God introduced this to the Jews, this was nobody did this. Nobody just voluntarily had themselves uh, circumcised. So this was something that was unique to these uh, people, and it was a sign of the covenant. Now, he chose Abraham. He made this covenant. He gave him a sign of the covenant, but why? 
Why did he choose this people? Well, he chose this people to reveal himself to the world. You see, we've talked about this in earlier verses and chapters that creation uh, speaks of God and tells of God and, and shouts forth the knowledge of God. But God also wanted to do something different. And so he chose this people. And the idea is through this people, God would reveal his goodness and reveal his grace to all the nations of the world. So here you've got this chosen people, a people who have knowledge that other people don't have. They have um, uh, uh, privileges, uh, advantages that other people don't have. But along with that knowledge and those privileges and, the, and those advantages comes a responsibility and an obligation a, as well. And, but what happened, instead of seeing those privileges and those advantages uh, as something honorable, as seeing, instead of seeing that, uh, that they were chosen for a purpose, the Jews, as time be went along, began to see it as a get-out-of-jail-free uh, card. Micah 3.11 says this, its judges give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its pro prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Now, I want to stop right here and pause because as we read this, I don't want us to focus solely on the Jews. You know, sometimes I think we make a mistake. We we like to read things in the Bible. It's just human nature that, uh, that apply to us. And so we come in and we read something about the Jews and we think, well, he's talking to Jews. He's not, he's not talking to me. But see, the fact is many people in America suffer from this same mentality that the Jews did. We feel that as Americans, we're special, that we're this uh, modern people of God, that we've been chosen by God. Now, you may wonder, where did this belief come from? A lot of people would say, well, it comes from our forefathers, George Washington, but it actually goes much further back than that. Uh, the Puritan John Winth Winthrop, on the ships coming over from England in 1630, he preached a sermon while they were still on the ship, and the sermon was called A City on a Hill. And in this sermon, he admonished these, these, uh, these colonists, these future settlers, that what they were doing was special, that they were going to be a city on a hill ordained by God to, to lead the way uh, to other, other nations. Now, we could argue about whether that's true or not about America, but I can tell you it was definitely true about the Jews, and look where it got them. You see, the thing is, anytime you put your eternal security in anything other than an internal relationship with God, you rely on your family, rely on your country, rely on anything. Listen, you're in big, big trouble. So we need to pay attention to what he's saying to the Jews. So for the most part, by the time you get to the New Testament, the Jew no longer sees his Jewishness as this privilege, an obligation, a responsibility uh, to shed the light of the goodness and the grace of God. He begins to see it as an indicator of his own uh, superiority. Notice what Paul says about him in Romans 2.17. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and you rest on the law, and you make your boast in God. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with boasting in God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. But there's a right way to boast in the Lord, and there's a, a wrong way. There's a right way when you boast in God that, man, my God can do anything. He's a great God. All glory goes to him. It's completely different to say, uh, I got a God that you don't have. 
And that's what the Jews had, had kind of come down to. They bragged about their relationship with God. They bragged that they were chosen, that they were special, that they were insulated in some way. And they began to think that God was obligated to them. Now, this is their mindset when this guy named John the Baptist arrives on the scene. And he begins to confront the Jews with the reality of what it means to be a Jew. In Matthew chapter 3, he's out there in the wilderness and he's baptizing and all these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and all these, all these people who are very holy and, and, and supposedly righteous men, they all come out to him. And he says this, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Jesus did the same thing in John chapter 8. He's teaching one day, and they answered him and said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That's not what Abraham did. You're not doing the works. You're, you're doing the works your father did. And, and by that, of course, he meant the devil. You see, they thought they were spiritually secure because their genealogy, their bloodline came from Abraham. Jesus said, no, no, you may be physically from Abraham, but your actions, your behavior, your heart show that your, your, your real father is the devil. Now, let's come back to Romans 2. What you want to see here in, in Romans is Paul is just doing exactly what John the Baptist and what Jesus did before him. You see, the Jews clinging are clinging so tightly to this idea of their physical lineage they're, they're clinging so tightly to their identity, physical identity, and it has and this this confidence needs to be exploded. So he gets right to the very basis of their security, and it seems to come down to one thing, and that's the law. Let's read verse seventeen. He says, "Indeed, you are called a Jew, and you rest on the law." I was thinking about this when I was putting this together. It's like a the game of tag, right? You play as a kid, and there's always a home base, right? And if you go to the home base, you, you're safe. Nobody can touch you. You can't be it, right? Well, that's kind of how the Jews saw the law. As, as long as they had the law, they were safe. They rested in that fact. Now, what does Paul mean by the law? Well, the law really embraces all the Old Testament scripture, the entire mosaic system, the promises, the covenants, the the rites, the ceremony, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the whole thing kind of laid out in the Old Testament. And you got to understand, and again, it's very difficult for us who are not Jewish to understand this, but the Jews were instructed in this law from the very time they were little small children. It was just a, it was an integral part of their upbringing. They were taught from the very beginning, you're special. You're chosen. You, you are a, a child of, of Abraham. But here's the problem. They were resting in their possession of the law rather than in the keeping of the law. Now, let me explain what I mean because I know many of you might say, now wait, wait just a minute. I've read the Gospels. Weren't the Pharisees and Sadducees keeping the law? Weren't they even adding additional rules to the law? Well, a lot of that's true, but see, that's not the point. The point is, is that the law could never be perfectly kept. Nobody could do that. In fact, anybody who tried would, would fail and fail miserably. James 2.10 tells us, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one thing, 
you're guilty of, of all of it. See, the idea is you have to keep it perfectly. Now, I want you to put yourself for just a moment in the place of a, of a Jewish child. You've been taught your whole life that you need to obey this law and show yourself this honorable, this chosen, this privileged, this advantaged people. Show that you're a true child of, of Abraham by keeping this law. Yet every day of your life, you fail. Can you just imagine the guilt? Can you imagine the guilt that you have to live with when every day you fail to do the one thing you, you've been chosen to do? Can, can you imagine the conviction? Can you imagine the, the shame? So, it, obviously, they couldn't keep the law perfectly. And when you can't keep the law perfectly, there's one only one other step, and that is to just rest in the fact that you possess the law. After all, God wouldn't do anything to us. We're the caretakers of the law. We, we watch over the law. Surely he would give us a break because of that. You see, they did exactly what the prophet Jeremiah warned them not to do. In Jeremiah chapter 7, 1 through 4, he said this, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I'll let you dwell in this place. But do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. See, he said, it's all, it, he said, I'm judging you on what you do. Don't think you can look over and say, we've got the temple, we've got the law, we've got the ceremonies, we've got the priesthood. Don't rely on that. You better practice what you preach. See, they had the law, and yet they, mixed, they missed the crux of the matter. In Romans 9, 30-32, Paul will say this, But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. In other words, they didn't get what they were going after. Why? Because they didn't go after it by faith. You see, the law always told them it was supposed to be about faith. Genesis 15, 6, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Habakkuk 2, 4, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. See, it was always about faith. So their security was no longer based on this fact that they obeyed the law in faith. It was on, it was just fact on the fact it was just based on the fact that they possessed the law. In fact, they even went a step further and saw themselves as teachers of the law. Look at verses eighteen through twenty. Paul says, And you know his will, and you approve what is excellent, because you're instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. See, they felt secure in what they knew. They felt secure because they taught others the law. But you see, that's no security at all. You may know about Christ in the Bible. You may know about heaven and hell. You may know about the devil and God or good and evil. You might even be able to teach Sunday school and teach other people those things. What you know is not the issue. What you do is the issue. What you do with that knowledge. So Paul gets right to the point here in verse 21. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? See, Paul's 
Paul's talking to the Jews, but let me tell you, there are people all over our county, all over our state, and all over our country who exactly like that. People who know Christian truth. They may even espouse Christian truth, teach Christian truth. See, there's this terrible gulf in the world between what theologians call orthodoxy, which is what you believe, and orthopraxy is what you do. In other words, there's a huge gulf sometimes of what people say and what people do, what they preach and what they practice. Paul is saying to the Jews, you're a teacher who doesn't practice what you preach. You're like a crooked cop, right? You wear the badge and the uniform and, and you know all the laws, but then you go out and break it yourself. Or you're like a, a judge who sits on the bench and dis, dispensing the law and, and judging over other people, but then you go out and you, you practice injustice in your own life. Listen, that is the worst kind of hypocrisy, and we hate it when we see it in others. Everybody does. But yet Paul says each one of us are like Jews. We practice it. We're guilty of it in ourselves. Matthew 23, 1 through 3, Jesus spoke to the multitudes and his disciples, and he said this, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, the seat of authority. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, do that. But do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. They practice. I'm sorry, they preach, but they don't practice. You see, when the Jews, and you and I for that matter, when we know something and we espouse something and maybe we even teach something, but we don't obey that, only one thing results. Romans 2.24. Paul says, for as it is written, the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. You see, here we are, the people of God, and we're supposed to bring honor and glory to his name but instead, because of our behavior and because of our actions, we bring dishonor and shame. We say one thing, but out in the world, we do the exact opposite. And God is saying, you've caused the world to blaspheme my name because of your behavior. Listen, is there anything worse that he could say than that? You see, you and I today must take a very hard look at our life. Do we let our light so shine before men and women that they see our good works and, and glorify God? When they see our life, do they see something honorable? Do they see something noble? Do they see something beautiful? Do they, do they see something and say to themselves, I want what that person has? Or do they look at your life and say, man, their God must be impotent? Because whatever your life is reflects upon the one who you say you worship. And in the end, it's all about what you do, not just who you say you are um, in, in, in your life. You see, that is Paul's message to the Jews, and that is his message to us. Let's read 25 through 27. For circumcision, the sign of the covenant, is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? The Jalkut Rabbini, which is a book of Jewish tradition, says this, Circumcision saves from hell. You see, the Jew felt, because I've got this mark of the covenant, I'm okay. Nothing can touch me. I'm not in danger of hell. But, but 
John said this, and Jesus said this, and now Paul says this. If you don't keep the law, that mark you got means absolutely nothing. When we started this lesson, we asked this question, who are the Jews? Another way to ask it is, who are the people of God, really? Paul answers this in verses 28 through 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. By the way, Paul uses a play on words here. If you'll remember at the beginning of the lesson, I told you that the word Jew and Judaism come from the name Judah, which means to praise. And now Paul here at the end says, whose praise is not of men, whose Jewishness, whose Judaism is not of men, but of God. Who is a true Jew? A person who truly keeps the law of God because they've been changed on the inside. A person who lives by faith. Someone who lives up to their name. They are praised by God. Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we come to the end of chapter 2 here, I know, Lord, that we've been talking about the Jews, but uh, I pray, Lord, that we... that we as a people here at River of Life and those watching, that we understand what being said here. That if anybody was going to get into heaven apart from Jesus Christ, it should have been this group, this group this that had been all these advantages and privileges and honors and all these things. But yet what it came down to is who you are, who are you as an individual on the inside? Not what family you come from, not what your bloodline or your race or your gender or your ethnicity but who are you on the inside? And that's that lesson was for the Jews and that lesson is for each one of us. God, help us to hear that lesson. Help us to take a hard look at our life. Are we doing what we need to do? Not just saying it, not just hearing it, not even just teaching it, but are we practicing that in our own life? Father, help us to be those kind of people that come Come thick or thin, come any situation, God, we will stand on your word. Not just possessing the word, but obeying the word. God, help us to be that people that will glorify your son. And it's in his name we ask it. Amen.